Chapter 6 of Lover or Friend by Rosa Carey The Grey Cottage I think I love most people best when they are in adversity, for pity is one of my prevailing passions. Mary Wollstonecraft Godwin's Letter The next morning, as Captain Burnett was strolling across the tennis lawn in search of a shady corner where he could read his paper, he encountered Audrey. She was walking in the direction of the gate and had a basket of flowers in her hand. She was hurrying past him with a nod and a smile, but he coolly stopped her. May I ask where you are going, my Lady Bountiful? For this was her name he often called her, perhaps an allusion to her sweet, bountiful nature. But Audrey, in her simplicity, had never understood the compliment. She hesitated a moment, and this was so unusual on her part that Captain Burnett metaphorically pricked up his ears. To use his own language, he immediately scented the whole business. I am going into the town, but I have a great deal to do, she returned quickly. Please do not detain me, Michael. I am not like you. I cannot afford the luxury of idleness. Well, no, it is rather a dear commodity, certainly, he replied pleasantly, though that hasty speech made him inwardly wince as though someone had touched an unhealed wound. Luxury of idleness. How he loathed it. If you are too long, I shall come and look after you he continued significantly, but to this she made no reply. She took herself to task as she walked on. She had not been perfectly open with Michael, but then he had no right to question her movements. She had spoken the truth. She certainly had business in the town, several orders to give, before she went to the grey cottage. Michael was her ally, her faithful, trusty ally. No knight sworn to serve his liege lady had ever been more zealous in his fealty. But even to Michael, she did not wish to confess that the greater part of the morning would be spent at the great cottage. Audrey had no idea that her cousin had guessed her little secret, that he was smiling over it as he unfolded his paper. Her conscience was perfectly easy with regard to her motives. Pure compassion for those two poor children was her only inducement. There was no danger of encountering the elder brother. The windows of the great schoolroom opened on the terrace, and as Audrey had passed to gather her flowers, she had had a glimpse of a dark, closely cropped head, and the perfect profile that she had admired last night, and she knew the new master would be fully occupied all the morning. Audrey felt a little needle prick of unavailing compunction as she remembered her allusion to the Greek guard yesterday. I wish I were not so foolishly outspoken, she thought. I always say just what comes into my head. With some people it would not matter. With Michael, for example, he never misunderstands one's meaning. But dear poor Gage is so literal. Clever as she is, she has no sense of humour. Here she paused at the grocer's to give her orders, but directly she left the shop, she took up the same thread again. I am always making resolutions to be more careful, but it never seems any use. The thoughts will come tumbling out like ill-behaved children just let out of school. There is no keeping them in order. I fancy Mr. Blake is outspoken too when he gets rid of his shyness. I was so surprised when he blurted out that little bit about his brother. He looked so sad over it, too. I think I must have made a mistake in supposing that he only cared for his mother. It was odd to make me his confidant, but then people always do tell me things. He is Irish, of course. Irishmen are always impulsive. But here another list of orders to be given of the ironmongers checked these vague musings. Audrey was fully expected at the cottage. She had hardly lifted the latch of the gate before Molly appeared in the doorway. I knew you would come, she said shyly, as Audrey kissed her put the flowers in her hands. Oh, what lovely flowers! Are they for Mamma, Miss Ross? Thank you ever so much. 
Mama is so passionately fond of flowers, and so is Cyril. Not Kester. Oh, yes, he loves them too, burying her face in the delicious blossoms. Roses especially. They are his favourite flowers, but of course no one thinks of sending them to Kester. He is only a boy. And I dare say you like them too, Marley vehemently nodded assent. Well, then I shall bring you and Kester some next time. You are right in thinking those are for your mother. May I go and speak to her? For we have to be very busy, you know. Mummy is not up yet, returned Marley, and as Audrey looked surprised, she added quickly. She and Cyril sat up so late last night. She was wanting to hear all about his evening, and it was such a lovely night that they were in the garden till nearly twelve o'clock, and so, of course, she is tired this morning. Audrey made no reply to this. Mrs. Blake was charming, but she was certainly a little erratic in her habits. No wonder there was so little comfort in the house when the mistress disliked early rising. Molly seemed to take it as a matter of course. Perhaps she was too much absorbed in the flowers to notice Miss Ross's reproving silence. She rushed off to find a jug of water, and Audrey turned into the dining room, which presented the same aspect of confusion that it had worn yesterday. Kester was on his knees trying to unpack a hamper of books. It cost him a painful effort to rise, and he looked so pale and exhausted that Audrey at once took him in hand. My dear boy, she said kindly as she helped him to the sofa. How very imprudent. You have no right to try your strength in that way. How could Molly let you touch those books? She has everything to do, and I wish to help her, he returned, panting with the exertion. Cyril wants his book so badly, and he has put up the bookcase, you see. He did that this morning. He had scarcely time to eat his breakfast, and then he asked Molly if she would unpack the books. I will help Molly, returned Audrey, laying aside her hat. Now, Kester, I want to ask you a favour. You will only be in our way here. Will you please take possession of that nice hammock chair that someone has put outside the window, and we will just fly round, as the Yankee domestics say. Audrey spoke with such good-natured decision, with such assurance of being obeyed, and Kester did not even venture on a grumbling remonstrance. The poor fellow was too much accustomed to be sat on one side, and to be told that he was no use, but Audrey had no intention of leaving him in idleness. By and by, when the whims are a little clearer, you can be the greatest help to us if you will sit at the table and dust the books in readiness for us to arrange. And Kester's face brightened up at that. Audrey was quite in her element. As she often told her mother, she was robust enough for a housemaid. The well-ordered establishment at Woodcut, with its staff of trained domestics and its excellent matron, offered little scope for her youthful activities. Mrs. Ross was her own housekeeper, and though she had contentedly relinquished her duties to Geraldine for the last few years, she had not yet offered to transfer them to Audrey. Audrey pretended to be a little hurt at this arrangement, but in reality she was secretly relieved. Her tastes were not sufficiently domestic. She liked better to supplement her mother's duties than to take the entire lead. In her way, she was extremely useful. She wrote a great many of the business letters, undertook all the London shopping, and assisted Mrs. Ross in entertaining her numerous visitors, many of whom were the boy's mothers. And though Mrs. Ross still regretted the loss of her elder daughter, and complained that no one could replace Geraldine, she was fully sensible of Audrey's efficiency, good-humoured, and ready help. Audrey's as good as gold, and does all I wanted to do, she said to Geraldine, when the latter had questioned her very closely on the subject. It was no trouble to Audrey to dash off half a dozen letters before post-time, or to drive into Sittingbourne to meet a batch of boys' relatives. She was naturally active, and hated an idle moment, but no work suited her so well as this Herculean task of evoking order out of the black chaos. Molly was so charmed with her energy, so fired by her example, that she worked like a dozen Mollies. The books were soon unpacked and on the table. 
Then Biddy was called in to clear away the straw and hampers and to have a grand sweep. Nothing more could be done until this had been carried out, so they left Biddy to revel in dust and tea leaves, while they turned out another hamper or two in the kitchen. For in the course of their labours, Molly had confided to Audrey that certain indispensable articles were still missing. The best thing would be to get rid of as many of the hampers as possible, replied Audrey. They are only in the way. Let us pack them up in the yard, and then one can have room to move. When Biddy had finished her labours, and all the dirt had been removed, Kester hobbled in willingly to dust the books, and Audrey and Molly arranged them on the shelves. There were not so very many, but they were all well and carefully chosen. Greek and Latin authors, all Carlyle's and Emerson's works, a few books of history and philosophy, the principal poets, and some standard works of fiction, Dickens, Thackeray, and Sir Walter Scott, the latter bound very handsomely. Audrey felt sure, as she placed the books on the shelves, that this little library was collected by a great deal of self-denial and effort. The young student had probably little money to spare. With the exception of Sir Walter Scott and Thackeray, none of the books were handsomely bound. That they were well read was obvious, for a volume of Browning's poems happening to fall from her hand, Audrey could see profuse pencil marks, and one philosophical book had copious notes on the margin. "'They are all Cyril's books,' observed Molly unconsciously answering Audrey's thought. Poor Cyril, it's such a trouble to him that he can't afford to buy more books. When he was at Oxford, he used to go without things to get them. He said he would sooner starve than be without books. Is it not sad to be so dreadfully poor, Miss Ross? But I suppose you don't know how it feels. Mama bought him that lovely edition of Thackeray. Oh, and Sir Walter Scott's novels too. Don't you like that binding? It's very expensive. Cyril was so vexed at Mama spending all that money on him when Kester wanted things, I'm afraid he hardly thanked her, and Mama cried about it. Molly was chattering on without thinking, until a bell made her start and hurry away. She did not come back for some time, and Audrey finished her task alone. I'll be making Mama some coffee, she said gravely. She had one of her headaches. She sent you a message, Miss Ross. She is so delighted with the flowers. She wanted to get up at once and thank you, and then she thought she had better lie still until her headache was better. But she will be down presently. Then we must make haste and finish the room before she comes. Molly, I can do nothing with those pictures. We will put them up against the wall until your brother can hang them. Let me see that corner behind the writing table. No one can see them there. Quick, hand me another. Is this a portrait of your father? Stopping to regard a half-length figure of a fine-looking man in naval uniform. No, that is only an uncle of Mamma's. I forget his name. Do you remember it, Kester? Papa was a merchant. At least I think so. Has he been long dead? Oh yes, he died abroad when Kester and I were quite little. That is why we are so poor. Mama has often told us that it is her money that we are living on. I don't know how she managed to send Cyril to Oxford, but we had no house all that time, only pokey little lodgings. Are we going to arrange the furniture now, Miss Ross? Oh, how comfortable the room begins to look, and how delighted Cyril will be when he comes home this afternoon. He says that Dr. Ross wants him after school, so he will not run home before dinner. How glad I am that Cyril will always have a nice dinner now. He does so hate Biddy's cooking, he declares that everything tastes alike. You say too, don't you, Kester? Kester's answer was a shrug of the shoulders. He seemed more reserved than Molly, who was chattering to her new friend with all the frankness and thoughtlessness of a very young girl. Mama never minds what sort of dinner Biddy sends up, if only Cyril does not find fault. I think she would live on tea and dry bread all year round if only Cyril could have nice things. Cyril, always Cyril. Audrey turned the subject by asking Molly if she would like the couch in the window. Molly clapped her hands delightedly at the effect. It looks beautiful, don't you think so, Kester? And how funny, Miss Ross has put round particular little table beside it, just as though she guessed that it was to hold your desk and your books. There is Kester's little box of books, but he will unpack them himself by and by. Molly, have you ordered the dinner? Interrupted Kester, a little anxiously. 
and poor Molly's face fell. Oh dear, I am so sorry. I've forgotten all about it. The butcher has not called, and there are only those potatoes and bread and cheese. Mama is right when she says my head is like a sieve. Why don't you send Biddy for some chops, my dear? remarked Audrey very sensibly. Kester had spoken in a loud whisper, but she had overheard every word. Molly started off with a look of relief to hunt up the old woman, and when Audrey found herself alone with Kester, she could not help saying to him, Molly is a very young housekeeper. Girls of fourteen are liable to forget sometimes. But to her surprise, he fired up at once. They all expect too much of her. I hate to see her slave as she does. It's not right. It's not fair. I tell Cyril so. She has no time to herself. All her lessons are neglected. If only Mother would send Biddy away and get another servant. Who teaches Molly, then? she asked a little curiously. Oh, Mother gives her lessons sometimes, but they're not very regular, and I help her with arithmetic and Latin. Cyril always gives me an hour or two in the evening when his work is done, but of course Molly does not care to learn Greek. Do you mean that your brother gives you lessons when he has been teaching all day? Yes, and he is awfully tired sometimes, but he never likes me to be disappointed. Mother often tries to make him take a walk instead, but Cyril is such a brick, he never will listen to her. Ardy felt a little glow of satisfaction as she heard this. What a kind brother Mr. Blake seemed to be. How truly estimable. She would never judge hastily of anyone again. Just then the clock struck one and she told Kester that she must hurry away. She was disappointed that Mrs. Blake had not yet appeared. She wanted to see the face that had haunted her so persistently, but the bewitching widow had not shown herself. I'm afraid I must go. Why should we late for luncheon? She said hurriedly. I will tell Molly, returned the boy, and then he said a little awkwardly, You have been awfully good to us, Miss Ross. I don't know how Molly and I are to thank you. You must be quite tired out. Ardy laughed. I am not so easily tired, Kester, and I am rather fond of this sort of work. Do you think your mother would mind if I were to look in tomorrow afternoon and help a little with the drawing-room? Molly had said something about it just now, and I half-promised she is to help Biddy put up the plates and dishes this afternoon. That will be as much as she can do. I am sure mother will be only too delighted, replied Kester gratefully. And then Audrey went in search of Molly, and found her occupied with the chops, while Biddy cleaned the knives. Molly turned a scorched heat to her. Dear Miss Ross, Thank you ever so much, she said fervently, as Audrey repeated her promise of looking in the next afternoon. Poor little soul, how interested Michael will be when I tell him all about it, she thought as she walked briskly towards Woodcott. Audrey had scarcely closed the green gate behind her before Mrs. Blake's foot sounded on the stairs. She looked pale and heavy-eyed, and walked into the room a little languidly. But if Audrey had seen her, she would only have thought that her paleness invested her with fresh interest. Miss Ross is gone, Mamma, observed Molly regretfully as she followed her into the room. Yes, I know. I felt too jaded to face visitors this morning. Mistress looked at one so, and my nerves would not stand it. How are you, Kester? Kissing his forehead lightly. You look better than usual. I don't believe I closed my eyes until four o'clock. Dear me, interrupting herself. There are Sill's books nicely arranged. Did you do them, Molly? Why, the room looks quite comfortable and homelike. Miss Ross must have helped you a great deal. Oh, yes, Mamma! exclaimed Molly and Kester eagerly and they were about to expatiate on Audrey's wonderful goodness when their mother checked them. Please don't speak so loud, children, or you'll make my head bad again. I'll tell you what we will do, Molly. We'll make those curtains, and then this room be quite finished. There are only the hems and just the tops to do. You can have no difficulty in finishing them before Cyril comes home. The red tablecloth is at the top of the black box, if you will fetch it, Molly, and I have arranged the flowers in that pretty green vase. But, Mamma, pleaded Molly in a vexed voice, the women will do quite well without curtains for one day, and I promised Miss Ross to help Biddy with the plates and dishes. All the hampers are unpacked, and there is not a corner in the kitchen to put anything, and it does make Biddy so cross. 
Nonsense, Molly. Who minds about Biddy's crossness? I suppose I may do as I like in my own house. Let us have dinner, and then we will set to work at once, you and I, and Kester can read to us. And seeing that her mother's mind was fully made up, Molly very wisely held her tongue, probably admonished there too by a mild kick from Kester. So, as soon as the chops had been eaten, Molly produced her mother's work basket and a shabby little cotton box that was appropriated to her own use and sewed industriously, only pausing at intervals to watch the white, slender fingers that seemed to make the needle fly through the stuff. Mrs. Blake was evidently an accomplished seamstress, and long before four o'clock the curtains were put up and duly admired by the whole family and Biddy.